This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, not busy with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be happy. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be happy. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection this is said to be the sub sublime abiding by not holding to false views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you. I wanted to mention... Uh, that uh, my home state is not home, is not Nebraska. Uh, my parents uh, lived in Omaha uh, about two months after I was born. Uh, I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. I wanted to mention that because I thought it was amusing. Uh, the name Des Moines means uh, in French the monks. So I have an early uh, history with the monks. <laughs> uh, Oh, th thank you, Bob. <laughs> um, all right. So tonight the subject is similes, mainly. And uh, we'll have some similes. And uh, I, when I came to um, Bodhinyana, I told Ajahn Brahm that my favorite thing in the suttas was similes. And it turns out that they're also the favorite of many other monks, and 
and I've heard them uh, mentioned recently. Uh, so if you, you want a good introduction or so on uh, for the, the suttas, uh, I recommend similes. <laughs> and uh, tonight I'm going to uh, do a couple of, I'm going to read a couple. And um, in particular, I'm going to read the ones um, called Nutriments or Ahara, which I have read, uh, I've read part of at least in this class a couple of years ago. Ahara means nutriments. And if you want another name for nutriment, uh, these are some names. Nutriment, food, dependence, or dependence on, support, subst substance, or sustenance, condition for, fuel, and I had conditioned already, as in conditioned arising, dependent origination, uh, if you're familiar with that, uh, another translation is conditioned arising. And the reason why these four nutrients are so important is uh, if you've studied dependent origination, then you know that uh, these uh, four nutrients crop up in the independent origination and are the four keys uh, to its hanging together. Those four nutrients uh, support and give nutriment for the other factors. And um, we won't be studying dependent origination, don't worry. It's a subject that requires a lot of study and uh, we don't have time for that. And uh, I don't think I'm capable of uh, just studying uh, and uh, teaching about dependent origination. But when you, or if you do study dependent origination, you'll come upon these subjects. And uh, if you want a whole rundown of dependent origination, I can read it. But uh, in fact, what we're going to study is um, uh, these four uh, nutriments. And in Pali, the term is ahara. It means nutriment or food. We're going to study physical uh, food uh, that is for the body. The second is contact or sense, of, sense impressions or contact. The third is the four nutriments or volitional formations, or we could call it will, as Ajahn Brahm is calling it, will, will formations. And the last is consciousness itself, consciousness. Those are the four nutriments uh, and it may sound strange, but uh, uh, the Buddha said, all beings subsist on nutriment. And let me read this uh, as to why we're studying this. This is what the Buddha said in the Sangyutta Nikaya. Monks, when a monk becomes entirely dispassionate towards one thing, when his lust for it entirely fades away, when he is entirely liberated from it, when he sees the complete ending of it, when he, then he is one who, after fully comprehending the goal, 
makes an end of suffering here and now. What one thing, all beings subsist by nutriment. When a monk becomes entirely dispassionate towards this one thing, nutriment, when his lust for it entirely fades away, when he is entirely liberated from it, and when he sees the complete ending of it, then, O oh monks, he is one who, after fully comprehending the goal, makes an end of suffering here and now. And so I will just plunge right in and start reading the four uh, similes for nutriment that are in the Sangyuta Nikaya, number 63.3, and the title of this sutta is The Sun's Flesh. And you probably have heard these suttas, or at least this one, before. If not, then um, I welcome you to uh, reading. I'm reading these uh, in particular because I found the language so powerful and uh, so moving. Uh, these are among the most powerful uh, uh, writings in the in the suttas, I think, in my opinion. And, um, and they'll give you an introduction, not only not only to these particular suttas, but the idea of similes in general. Why uh, would people be so interested in similes? And it's because from ancient times. People have used similes in, in all, uh, say, religious or uh, writing of that kind, theocratic uh, writing. And uh, the similes, um, sometimes they're easy to understand and sometimes they're not. And I warn you, sometimes the similes take years to unravel. Uh, and they're like eggs uh, that uh, ripe that hatch uh, down the line if you put study into them. Uh, so uh, similes are very important. <clears throat> so now I'll begin with uh, the similes, the four similes. The first one is the, sun, the sun's flesh. <clears throat> Excuse me. At Savati, bhikkhus, there are these four kinds of nutriment for the maintenance of beings that have already come to be and for the assistance of those about to come to be. Rebirth. What for? The nutriment edible food, gross or subtle. Second, contact. Third, mental volition. And fourth, consciousness. These are the four kinds of nutriment for the maintenance of beings that have already come to be and for the assistance of those about to come to be. And how, bhikkhus, should the nutriment edible food be seen? Suppose a couple, husband and wife, have taken limited provisions and were traveling through a desert. They have with them their only son, dear and beloved, then in the middle of the desert, their limited provisions would be used up and exhausted while the rest of the desert remains to be crossed. The husband and wife would think, 
our limited provisions have been used up and exhausted while the rest of the desert remains to be crossed. Let us kill our only son, dear and beloved, and prepare dried and spiced meat. By eating our son's flesh, we can cross the rest of this desert. Let not all three of us perish. The idea being that they could make it across and then have another chi child or children. Then Bekus, the husband and wife, would kill their only son, dear and beloved, prepare dried and spiced meat, and by eating their son's flesh, they would cross the rest of the desert while they are eating their son's flesh. And while they are eating their son's flesh, they would beat their breasts and cry, where are you, our only son? Where are you, our only son? What do you think, bhikkhus? Would they eat that food for amusement or for enjoyment or for the sake of physical beauty and attractiveness? No, venerable sir. Wouldn't they eat that food only for the sake of crossing the desert? Yes, venerable sir. And he's, I might know, he's addressing this to the monks. And why, of course, why they eat? Why do they eat their food? It, it is in such a way because that I say that the nutriment edible food should be seen. When the nutriment edible food is fully understood, lust for the five cords of sensual pleasure is fully understood. Then lust for the five cords of sensual pleasure is, when the lust for the five cords of sensual pleasure is fully understood, there is no fetter bound by which a noble disciple might come back again into this world. Let me just read. Edible food, this is a note, a note from the commentary, edible food should be considered as similar to son's flesh by way of the ninefold repulsiveness. The repulsiveness of having to go out for it, of having to seek it, of eating it, of the bodily secretions, of the receptacle for the food, the stomach, of digestion and indigestion, of smearing and of excretion. And the bhikkhus should use his alms food in the way the couple eat their son's flesh, without greed and desire, without pickiness, without gorging themselves, without selfishness, without delusion about what they are eating, without, without they are eating, without longing to eat such food again, without hoarding, without pride, without disdain, and without quarreling. And how, because, should the nutriment contact be seen? 
contact in, in uh, Pali is pasa. Suppose there is a flayed cow, in other words, a cow that, ha cow that has been skinned, but still alive. If she stands exposed to a wall, the creatures dwelling in the wall would nibble at her. If she stands exposed to a tree, the, the creatures ex dwelling in the tree would nibble at her. If she stands exposed to water, the creatures dwelling in the water would nibble at her. If she stands exposed to the open air, the creatures dwelling in the open air would nibble at her. Whatever that flayed cow stands exposed to, the creatures there would nibble at her. In such a way, bhikkhus, that I say the nutriment contact should be seen. Oops, sorry. When the nutriment contact is fully understood, the three kinds of feeling are fully understood. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. When the three kinds of feeling are fully understood, I say, there is nothing further that a noble disciple needs to do. The commentary explains the full understanding of contact in the same way as for edible food, except that contact is taken as the starting point for the discernment of the five aggregates. When contact is fully understood, the three feelings are fully, are fully understood because they are rooted in contact and associated with it. The teaching by the way of the nutriment contact is carried as far as arahatship. Next, and how because should the nutriment mental volition be seen? As I said, that's also called will or will, will constructs and so on. Uh, also usually called in the books of uh, volitional formations. Supposing there is a charcoal pit deeper than a man's height filled with glowing coals without flame or smoke. A man would come along wanting to live, not wanting to die, desiring happiness and averse to suffering. Then two strong men would grab him by both arms and drag him toward the charcoal pit. The man's volition would be to get far away. His longing would be to get far away. His wish would be, would be to get far away from the charcoal pit. For what reason? Because he knows, I will fall into this charcoal pit, and on that account I will meet death or deadly suffering. It is in such a way, because that I say the nutriment mental volition should be seen. The charcoal pit represents the round of existence with its three planes. The man wanting to live, the foolish worldling attached to the round, the two strong men, wholesome and unwholesome comma. <clears throat> when they grab the man by both arms and drag him toward the pit, 
This is like the worldling's accumulation of karma. For the accumulated karma drags along a rebirth. The pain from falling into the charcoal pit is like the suffering of the round. It is in such a way because that I say the nutriment and mental volition should be seen. When the nutriment and mental volition is fully understood, the three kinds of craving are fully understood. When the three kinds of craving are fully understood, I say there is nothing further that a noble disciple needs to do. The four, four types of craving are craving for sensual desire, for existence, and for non-existence. They are fully understood because craving is the root. Craving is the root of mental volition. Hmm. Craving is the root of mental volition. Here too, the teaching is carried as far as our hardship by way of mental volition. Okay. And how, bhikkhus, should the nutriment consciousness be seen? Suppose they were to arrest a bandit. That's the, the people in a, a village or a kingdom. A criminal, they bring him before the king, saying, Sire, this man is a bandit, a criminal. Impose on him whatever punishment you wish. The king says to them, Go, men, in the morning, strike this man with a hundred spears. In the morning, they strike him with a hundred spears. Then at no, noon, the king asks, Men, how is that man? Still alive, sire. Then go and at noon, strike him with a hundred spears. At noon, they strike him with a hundred spears. Then in the evening, the king asks, Men, how is that man? Still alive, sire. Then go and in the evening, strike him with a hundred spears. In the evening, they strike him with a hundred spears. What do you think, bhikkhus? Would that man being struck with 300 spears experience pain and displeasure on that account? Venerable sir, even if he were struck with one spear, he would experience pain and displeasure on that account, not to speak of 300 spears. It is in such a way, bhikkhus, that I say the nutriment consciousness should be seen. The king represents Kama, the criminal, the worldling, the 300 spears, rebirth consciousness. The time the king gives his command is like the time the worldling is driven towards rebirth by king, by king Kama. The pain from being struck by the spears is like the resultant suffering in the course of existence once his rebirth, rebirth has taken place. So he can't escape 
he can't escape his uh, karma. It is in such a way, because that I say the nutriment consciousness should be seen. When the nutriment consciousness is fully understood, name and form is fully understood. When name and form is fully understood, I say, there is nothing further that a noble disciple needs to do. Name and form, um, Consciousness is the uh, nutriment for name and form. That's why they're mentioned in that place. So that is the four um, nutriments. Um, and uh, I hope that you're impressed by the, the writing in there. In one place, um, uh, the writer uh, who wrote the commentary uh, compared uh, one of the similes to Kafka if you're familiar with Kafka's writing, uh, they are very powerful. And as one teacher said here, uh, these uh, suttas are in your face. So, are there any um, are there any questions? Oh dear, seven twenty-seven already. Seven twenty-seven. Soon we will do the meditation. Anybody uh, wonder what's going on? Or uh, do you have any question about uh, what nutriment is, more or less? Is it uh, unclear when I say that? The, yes. Go ahead. I the only uh, the, the one I had the most difficult understanding was the blade pow and um, I the didn't contact, the contact stem. I can't quite understand. Can you repeat that? You the one you couldn't quite understand was what? The contact. Stem. Contact. Uh, contact. Yes, the the flayed the flayed cow. The flayed cow, right? Yeah, well, contact uh, means uh, when an external um, source uh, is contacted by the mind. It doesn't really have to do with this kind of contact, physical. It's, it's what goes into the mind, and it, uh, it is the uh, source for the three feelings, pleasurable, unpleasurable, and neutral. So it's a very important. Um, it's a very important link. When you see dependent origination, you'll see how that link leads to all sorts of other links, which leads to rebirth. Without going into a, a lot of explanation, it's the it's the three feelings that lead us to pleasure and pain, and lead us to. Uh, tanha are, are grasping and wanting, craving. In fact, one minute here, sorry. It is hunger that we're talking about here. 
hunger that stands behind the entire process of nutrition, wielding its whip relentlessly. The body from birth to death craves ceaselessly for material food and mind hungers e as eagerly for its own kind of nutriment, you see. It's not just physical, it's mental. For uh, the mind craves its own kind of nourishment, forever new sense impressions and forever expanding, uh, an ever expanding universe of ideas. Craving tanha is the principal condition of any intake or uptake. Uptake, upadana, leads to rebirth, to bhava and then rebirth. That is of nutriment in its widest sense. This is the first factor common to all types of nutriment, be they physical or mental. That's why we read about the nutriment. Uh, it's both physical and mental. So does that mean if you uh, don't crave rebirth, but yet you crave everything in samsara, you're going to get reborn anyway? Yes. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let's check it. You can't, you can't just crave uh, uh, sense desires without craving rebirth. Oh, you mean the idea of rebirth? Even if you don't, you don't want rebirth, but you want everything else. <laughs> well, well, you get, you get the whole package. You get the whole comic package. You can't have one without. You have to give the whole thing up. Way to go. That's right. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Right. That's exactly true. I hope that's clear. That's exactly. That's a very. That's a very important point. <laughs> that's about the most important point I can think of. This is well, thank you. the the reason for this is to overcome our desires, sense desires, and to overcome the desire for rebirth. Yes. Okay. Now we will start our meditation, if you are already. Thank you. Oh. So, let me just put this away. And so for 30 minutes, uh, 7.32 by my watch here. So we will have, um, our meditation will start. Is there any particular way you want me to do the meditation? I usually break in and give little pointers um, about I, attention. I think, Banki, that you just do it as you feel comfortable to do it. That All right. would be wonderful. All right. All right, then. Then we will start the meditation. And we will pay attention 
Now, uh, aiming towards Anapanasati, which uh, is what we usually practice here, uh, that's in and out breathing. But if you wish to practice some other form, like if you want to practice metta, uh, I invite you to practice metta or any other way that you feel comfortable with. But at any rate, we start out uh, paying attention to the present moment and continue from there. So paying attention to the present moment, we start our meditation. I want to remind everyone to relax. Keep your body straight. Go through your body and make sure that there are no tensions in any place, especially in the face, around the eyes, going down the neck, the shoulders, the arms, letting any tension flow out through the fingers letting the tension run down the trunk, down the legs, and down to the feet, and out the soles of the feet.
If this is ever necessary during the meditation, feel free to practice this uh, relaxation to reduce tension. If your mind is wandering, return to the subject, your meditation. Keep your mind on the present moment. If you've done well on the present moment, you can bring your attention to the breath. The in and out breath. You may have uh, talking a bit in the background. Uh, you can let that go for a while and maintain your attention on the breath. Continue to relax.
Now turn off any mental talking that you may have. Continuing to pay attention to the breath, only the breath and no inside talking. Meditate in silence, only watching the breath in and out. Now, letting go of any tension, continue to relax, keeping your mind on whatever your meditation subject is, whether it's the breath or some other subject, in silence. Meditate in silence.
Some of you may have gone past breathing into piti sukha, rapture and joy. What I mean by that is that you may see a light in your mind. You may feel a tingling in your body. You may feel a kind of breath going through your body upwards, lifting upwards, lifting as if you felt the whole body lifting upwards. All of these are signs of piti sukha. <clears throat> if they happen, just go with them. Now the next, the next step towards jhana. Now, if you feel the piti sukha, <clears throat> that rapture and tranquility will lead you into full tranquility, pasadi. Full tranquility. And it's just a step from tranquility to samadhi.
Now, in this last part of our meditation, may all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. May all beings, wherever they are, share in metta. May all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. Wherever these beings are, whether in this country or in some other country, whether they're on this planet or some other planet, in the universe, wherever these beings are, in a higher realm, a higher heaven, or a lower realm, may all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. Offer metta to all beings everywhere. And may you be well, happy, and peaceful. Remember to bring metta, offer metta to yourself. May I be well, happy, and peaceful. May I be well, happy, and peaceful. May all beings who are near to me be well, happy, and peaceful. And with that, I'll bring this meditation to a close. If you have the lights off and you turn the lights on, remember to watch, uh, take care of your eyes. And if there are any questions you have, 
either about <clears throat> the similes that we read before or about the meditation. Any questions concerning meditation? The meditation we just did. Um, now is the time to bring that forward. If not, <clears throat> um, I have a question. Yes. Um, it actually surprised me because um, there are four nutrients, and the edible food is not in the dependent origination, but the other three are in it, right? Mm. It it just like surprised me why why he put edible food with the other three. That's the that's the first thing that I'm wondering. And the second thing is that um, I think the simile of the sun's flash doesn't seem very kind to me. <laughs> and um, I feel like it goes a bit too far, uh, in my opinion, because like I cannot imagine I'm eating my own sun. I do not have a sun, but I cannot imagine I like, I kill my son. Firstly, that's, that's against the precept. And then secondly, <laughs> it is fresh. And I think that's, that, that, that level of repulsiveness that the Buddha is trying to trigger is, I think it's a bit too much. Can you like comment on that a bit? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, I think the, that's why I read it. Uh, these are, as another monk said, in your face. These are the, some of the strongest uh, writings you find in the suttas. <laughs> and um, I share your uh, distaste for the idea of uh, the parents eating their son. And, uh, but you see, you see why. Uh, the point being that the monks, uh, he's teaching the monks why they should uh, be eating. And, uh, of course, he asks them, <clears throat> if you remember, he asks them, now, would the, this uh, man and wife, would they be eating for pleasure or, or for exercise or for this or that reason? And the monks say, no, uh, they would only be eating to survive. And that is, that's the point of that. <clears throat> you see what I mean? <laughs> Does that, is that clear? Uh, clear? It's clear to me that he's making a point to the monks, even, um, and he's not, uh, he's certainly not um, suggesting that anybody eat their son, but he's uh, putting forth the reason why um, we, uh, we eat our food and why the monks. Um, uh, chant uh, to themselves a kind of blessing, um, remembering why they eat um, for every meal. 
why they're eating, why, did, why they're taking in this nutriment, why, why eating. Um, as far as why um, food is mentioned, uh, I could read something here about food being, food is the archetype of all sense desire. Food, physical food. And so once you, uh, and it says in the suttas, once you understand the nutriment food, you have understood all the other sense desires. That's why it's so important. It's so important. No, it's not mentioned directly in the in dependent origination. It's a sort of an indirect. It's anything else, uh, or should I expand that or try to expand it? A good question, though. It is a good question, Bhante. Uh, Sky is uh, waiting to ask you another question. Are you happy to take it now, Bhante? Yes. Sky, would you like to unmute? Thank you, Chris. Um, going along with the food one, that was my favorite because um, having some health challenges myself, I noticed over the years, when I was a baby, I ate like a baby. When I was a toddler, I ate like a toddler and blah, blah, blah. And when I was 30 to 50, I ate like a wild woman and drank and, you know, did the whole world. And now that I'm a little old lady, I have to restrict, restrict, restrict to survive. And I look around me at my friends who are some older than me and are all dying and sick and everybody's obese and I look at food and I, I look at the craving of having to see food so beautifully prepared, which I love to do and it's so attractive. And, and um, I listened to Ajahn, I don't know if it was Ajahn Anand translation or Kalyano, Ajahn Kalyano, but one thing that correlates with this that struck me like a big bell in my head is that no matter what you put in your front, in front of you, and the minute you put it in your mouth, it is now garbage. <laughs> Even if it was a hundred dollar steak. Well put. You know, for exaggeration. Because the minute you defile it with your saliva in your mouth, uh, with hours of roasting and preparation, it is now garbage. So, um, that if you're trying to control some food craving, to me, struck a chord that I think I can live with for the rest of my life. I mean, I don't think I could eat one meal a day because I have, I suffer between feeling very starving and feeling very full and belching and I have some digestive issues. I'm all right, but it's just a little uncomfortable. Um, uh, so knowing this in advance, whatever I put in my mouth is garbage anyway. So just be pure. Just keep it simple. And um, maybe I'll lose a few pounds too and, and <laughs> have some less cravings for spaghetti and meatballs and garlic bread and, you know. 
Am I making everybody hungry? <laughs> well put. And remember this. So that was my that was my attraction to that first one. Yes, good because it applies to all the sense desires. Food is the archetype. It's very it's very strongly put, not only in the sutta itself but in the commentaries. The longest commentaries are about that particular beginning, the food, and that's of course the longest. Uh, simile, and the most outstanding. Well, uh, we also have uh, Nikki waiting to ask you a question, Monty, if you'd be happy to take it now. Yes. Hi, Monty, thank you. Thank you for the talk and the meditation, thanks. Yeah, it's about the food as well. I liked that simile about the... Um, about eating a child. And I think in some ways it reflects um, living in this world as well. It's like, it's hard to live in this world and there's a lot of violence and there's a lot of this and there's a lot of that. And so to bring that into a sort of Buddhist perspective, I think is real. And also, you know, if I think about um, what you were saying about food, um, for instance, uh, personally, myself, I've had lots of addictions and food has been one. So what I've had to do is simplify the food. And when you said it's like, there's, there's even a program that talks about food is to fuel your body. That's it. Because it's when it's like taking it, you know, because if I think of, I stopped drinking alcohol, alcohol's everywhere. It's everywhere. You're on holidays, it's about holidays, family gatherings, it's all about alcohol. But food is the same. People, and I'm not, they gorge on it. I've gorged on it. So, I, so I've stopped. I've stopped. I, personally, I have one meal a day and I, I eat particular food. And it has really helped. It's freed me up. I don't have to worry about food. When to cook it, what to buy. Blah blah blah. It's I just eat it, and I then have loads of cravings. <laughs> That's the stuff. All that stuff comes up. All the stuff that I've packed down with food now it comes up for me to have a look at. So it, I think it's powerful. I think it's a powerful thing. It's food. Yes. I don't know if there's a question there. Is there a question there? I don't think there is. Well, I think you would enjoy the commentaries on nutriment. Okay. Yes, there's okay. much more, yes. <laughs> uh, can I just ask, what does archetype mean? In this archetype? Mm. Uh, everything that's true of, the, of, the, uh, of food, in terms of what you've mentioned, is true of the other sense desires. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Everything, it does. everything that you've said you could put it to the other sense desires. That's exactly, literally what it says in the suttas, in the, especially in the commentaries. Well, no, in the, in the, sutta, in the suttas itself, it says that, that uh, if you understand the nutriment of food, if you really understand it, you've done what... Uh, a monk needs to do, and that includes everybody here. 
This, which, this oh. is what, yeah, it's a big thing. Mm. And it says that in here. I could read more if you want. <laughs> is it? All right. And others? Yes, we have uh, Christelle who would like to unmute and ask you a question too. Yes, yes. Ajahn for the talk and the beautiful meditation. Uh, I've got a question. Uh, my question is about um, uh, stream entry and rites and rituals. And I suppose rites and rituals, it's not only um, uh, like religious rites and rituals, like praying or things like that. And I was uh, wondering whether like being superstitious is included in rites and rituals or is there any other um, hmm. things that are included, like maybe abuse? Well, it depends on your idea of what superstitions are. And uh, one of the typical rites and rituals they mention is bathing in the Ganges to purify yourself. So it depends on what you consider that. That is one of the rites and rituals. Generally, it's applied to the rites and rituals of other religions. <laughs> and uh, doing things like that, um, rather physical uh, rather physical things in order to purify yourself. That's one of the fetters. Uh, there are three fetters, and that's one of them. Uh, that a person, uh, when a person becomes a stream enterer, they have overcome three fetters. And that's one of them, rites and rituals. That's probably the easiest to uh, overcome. So would you say that it's more... Um, uh, not believing that uh, rites and rituals will help you? Yes. It's not fixed views. For example, if you like to... Let's say if you... For example, if you ask for... Uh, like devas or devatas to help you, will that count as rites and rituals? That's a good question. Um... It borders on rites and rituals. It depends on how far that's taken. I think it would depend on the teacher uh, <laughs> whether he accepted that as part of... Uh, uh, generally, in Buddhism, uh, it's uh, acceptable to um, give uh, prayers and obeisance to devas. Um, that's a that's a tough question. Uh, it's not the kind of uh, ritual that I usually think of, uh, where people are lighting fires, uh, bathing in the rivers, um, offering food to the gods. When when they feel that that's purifying them to such an extent that that's their that's their religion, then I would say that's rites and rituals, and they've gone too far and. It's not going to help them, it's going to hold them back. That's why it's a fetter. Fetter means something that's holding you back in this life. And you can't go on. You have to overcome that. Does that help at all? Uh, as far as uh, 
as giving uh, prayers and offerings to devas, I, th I think as long as they're within the Buddhist uh, universe, uh, then that's probably acceptable. But that isn't something, say, for instance, here, this monastery, we don't concentrate on giving rites and offerings to, to devas. We don't do any of that. <laughs> and that isn't something that we would do. Um, maybe blessings like sprinkling water on people is acceptable. <laughs> but that's not considered uh, the end all of uh, of the of the religion. That isn't something that you come in and do nothing else but have water sprinkled on you. Would you say that um, your conduct is the only thing, like your con your virtue and conduct and meditation is the only thing, and rite and rituals? will not help you. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. Thank you very much, Bhante. Thank you. Okay. Bhante, I have a comment in the chat. Would you be happy for me to read it to you? Yes, please. Uh, when Ajahn said about eliminating desires so we won't be reborn, it means that we don't like to live in this world. How do monks seem to be so happy despite the fact that this world is suffering? And how do we avoid feelings or being selfish in this practice of cutting rebirth? But we leave our loved ones behind since uh, they cannot all follow on this path. Hmm. Well, that's... Uh a multi-layered question. We are... Number one that occurs to me is that we're following the Buddha's scriptures. To me that's the most important uh, thing. I feel that I am following, to, my, to the best of my ability, the scriptures of the Buddha. And I have faith in the Buddha's teaching, I have faith in the Buddha, and I have faith in the Sangha. And for me that answers that question. I hope that's clear enough. I think it's very clear, Bhante. Beautifully put. Is there anyone else who would like to ask a question? Uh, unmute. Yes, Ma Martha, welcome. In. Lovely to see you. With Sorry, us. I'm late. I hate being late. I'm so excited. I got up and I was going to do my Chidam before the meditation, and Dad Gum and I realized. I, I forgot because my notifications off that the time it changed. But at any rate, this is the highlight of my week. Thank y'all for access to each other and a teacher. I've been thinking about that whole rites and rituals thing for a long time because 
I'm not all about worship either, but I love rites and rituals. <laughs> I'm just wondering, not Monte, but John, do you think that, I'm not into them either in a worshipful way. I'm just not into worshiping the Buddha or anything superstitious much. But I'm wondering if you're, if, I love rites and rituals in such a way that, I don't know, is it helpful for children, do you think? Do you think that there should are different ways of teaching people who are at different levels? Do you think it's possible to teach through the mechanism of rites and rituals and uh, and then maybe grow into something in the way of uh, a little more depth of understanding? Just your thoughts, because I do love ceremony. <laughs> well, there is ceremony in, uh, in Buddhism. However, we don't we don't consider the Buddha a god, and we don't worship him. I don't worship the Buddha. <laughs> and I'd say most uh, Buddhists, um, depending, I don't know about Mahayana. I, I knew a Mahayana nun who said, I worship the Buddha. <laughs> she, she worshiped the Buddha, but she, what she meant by that is she uh, did Anjali in front of the Buddha, I think. I don't think she considered the Buddha God. Now, I wouldn't teach uh, children to consider the Buddha God. All right? That, that's where I would, I would stop it. Um, does that help? Yes, I agree. I don't worship him either, but I do try to do... I think there were lots of Buddhas, to tell you the truth. I think there were a lot of different Buddhas, but the first one, obviously, that we wrote about, that we're talking about, that did all the scriptures and whatnot, I, I, I don't think he was a god either. And uh, I think... I don't know, but it's, it's helpful. I don't worship him either, I, but I really admire him, and that is my goal. And... Uh, I don't know. Remember, I don't worry that it's been there's been a degradation. I think of uh, of of some paths. I think in the original cultures that they came from. I've listened to a teacher lately who said that American it's, it's like Christianity over in the in the East is to Buddhism in the West. It's fresher and newer and hasn't forgotten what the intent was. So maybe uh, <laughs> some the things that I've been listening to are really given to an audience that has taken the rite and the ritual too far, that they've lost the heart in why it is that they're doing what they're doing, like some... People have certain rituals before they go to the bathroom or certain rituals before they enter a room or whatever, and, and they've got the words, but the heart isn't there. I think it, it has the possibility of happening to anybody. So, anywho, thank you for not forgetting what the intent was and spreading it as a God. Mm -hmm. I don't see him as God either. Didn't he say that let the teachers, let the teachings be the teacher, but you need a teacher at the end of his life to... When he was getting ready to die. Yes, I think so. That's, yeah. yeah. He said, let the teachers, right? Let the uh, Sangha be the teacher. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, thank you. Hmm. Well, Bunty, if, uh, would you like to leave us with a blessing at this point? Yes. All right, if everybody is ready, then keep metta in your heart. Sabe Buddha Bala Pata Pacheka Nang Chayang Balang Arahatanang Tetejena Rakang Bandami Sabaso. So I offered new blessings from all of the Buddhas, from the Arahats, the Pacheka Buddhas. Um, and may you be protected in all ways. And uh, have a very good week. Metta to everyone. Sukihotu, be happy. Sukihotu.